0: Welcome to a bonus edition of Behind the Mic with Audiophile Magazine. I'm Joe Reed. We're continuing our celebration of audiophiles' golden voices with extended interviews with our most recent recipients. Today, the spotlight is on Sunila Nankani.
1: Mustafa watches, his dark eyes amused, as Zora yanks my arm and starts to drag me off with her. Sister, see this? Mr. Brother offers when our backs are turned, and we're almost in the next stall. I give you this for a good price. Zora turns around reluctantly. Don't waste our time. We're in a hurry. Come see, very good price. Zora squeezes my arm and returns to the stall, acting like she's doing Mr. Brother a favor. He shows her some bowls and gives her a number in rupees. I have no idea how much money that is, since my Urdu is especially terrible when it comes to numbers. Plus, I forget how to convert Pakistani currency into dollars.
0: That was Sunila Nankani, narrating Amina's Song by Henna Khan, a YA title about a Pakistani-American girl trying to bridge two cultures. It's a book that hits a lot of Sunila's sweet spots. Although she has great range as a narrator, She brings a special sensibility to books for young listeners and a deep authenticity in her readings of books by South Asian and black writers, particularly. Sunila was born in the Washington DC area. Her father emigrated from India and her mother from Ghana. So Sunila grew up in a multicultural, multi-ethnic family. And she translates that diversity to her work as a narrator. In the project she chooses, her preparation for them, and in the performances themselves. But just as important to her audiobook career was the central place of storytelling in her family's life.
1: Both of those cultures have very strong sort of storytelling traditions, so that was definitely a big part of my upbringing and just like hearing stories from my grandparents and, you know, from my parents about, you know, what their lives were like before they moved to this country. So, yeah, it's it's always been a, a very strong part of my upbringing.
0: <laughs> and you started performing when you were quite young, didn't you?
1: I did. I did. I started when I was in middle school doing some original theater and then, you know, did lots of musicals in high school and college and, yeah, started pretty young. <laughs>
0: Now, how did you begin in the audiobook business after being in theater? What made you decide to switch and do audiobooks?
1: I mean, I've always been a very avid reader. I'm that person who takes, you know, seven books on vacation and reads them all. Let's see, I was working at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival for a year, and I got back, and I was kind of like, wow, I've been gone for a year, Um, I need to sort of figure out what I'm going to do next, and a good friend of mine who was at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival with me, um, a great narrator, Neil Shaw was working at Recorded Books at the time and got uh, Claudia Howard to get me in for an audition. And uh, I booked the job and I was like, oh, I like this. Um, I'm acting. I'm reading. I just started immediately thinking, how can I do more of this? And that was the beginning of it.
0: I'm curious about how you think your, your training in theater helps you with narration.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it helps a lot you know, I studied, I was lucky enough to study um, with Kristen Linklater for several years, and I am always drawing on her work and the training that I did with her, figuring out voices for characters, and it's really fun for me to always be finding new voices, really, you know, using my different resonators and, and that sort of thing. That, I would say, is has been really, really helpful to me. And then... Yeah, I mean, all of the character work, you know, that I did in grad school, sort of really looking at what the author is trying to communicate, all the clues in the text about who the people are, what they believe, what other people believe about them, was really helpful, you know, when I started to to work in audiobooks.
0: I wonder if anything could prepare you for the stamina you need, not only to, you know, be able to do a close reading and embody all these characters, but you're also that narrative voice, that drive that has to set the pace, and it has to be, no matter what else is going on, a forward motion. And that, I can imagine, could be really exhausting.
1: Yeah, I would say nothing prepares you for that. I very much remember... The first time I did, I think it was a six-hour session, I came home and I just passed out for a couple of hours. So that portion of it for me was very much about practicing and figuring out, okay, you know, how do I need to take care of myself before a session? How do I need to take care of myself during a session? Yeah, that was a surprise for me.
0: (laughs) You know, you bring a lot of focus and attention to titles by South Asian writers, African and African-American writers. And I'm assuming this is by design.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Those very much are, you know, stories and characters that speak to me, that speak to my experience, and that I'm just really passionate and excited about sharing with other people.
0: And I think happily, we're seeing more and more titles by South Asian, African and African-American writers.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I did my first book in 2009. And the landscape has completely changed in terms of more writers um, working on South Asian stories, Black stories, African stories. And then also what's getting published has really changed. And that's just been so exciting to witness and be like a teeny part of.
0: You've narrated many, many titles of both non Western fantasy and romance novels. Because mm-hmm. there's a plethora of both suddenly.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's really been an explosion of romance novels, which I, I love. It's so fun. I mean I just did a, a sort of panel talk with, with Farah Heron who who wrote Accidentally Engaged. And she was just saying like, you know, when she was when she was growing up, there were no love stories about just two brown people falling in love and I think a lot of people felt that way and a lot of people want to hear those stories including myself so uh, yeah I think you're right about that I have to head out now but nice meeting you neighbor the pleasure is all mine that charming smile again white straight teeth and a dimple on his left cheek Mr. Uninspiring quickly advanced to Mr. Pretty Damn Hot. He should never stop talking with that voice, or smiling with those teeth. Thankfully, he hadn't yet. I'd love to take you out for a pint if you'll share any extra baked goods lying around. Are you free tonight? I'm Nadim. He held out his right hand to shake. Ooh, did he just ask her out?
0: Well, that leads me to a cultural authenticity that is in your work. And I wonder how you try to assure that it's there.
1: Yeah. You know, I think there are a couple pieces to it. I think certainly I'm drawing from my own experience in terms of very often the characters resonating with me, but I'm also doing a lot of connecting with the author around what feels appropriate, what feels right for characters sometimes, if that's not, if it's not feeling like I'm connecting to that immediately. And then I also think just being really, really honest in terms of books that, for instance, I don't end up doing just being really honest about, okay, this does resonate with me or actually I am not super connected to the story. I don't really understand this culture or I I don't feel comfortable doing this accent. And I think that that is as great a part of wanting to be faithful and authentic culturally as connecting to my lived experience and talking to folks and doing um, the appropriate research. Well,
0: I would imagine, and I could be wrong, but a book that you narrated, His Only Wife, which is set in Ghana, um, Mm -hmm. which some of your family is from. And I wonder if that book particularly resonated with you.
1: Oh, I loved doing that book so much. For starters, so I actually was staying with my mom last summer. She has a lot more space than I do. Uh, So it was so fun to be saying to her, mom, how do you say this word in chi? Or how do you say this is the one of the Ghanaian dialects that the one that my mother speaks. And, you know, there's like a cadence to the to the language and, you know, these sort of expressions of excitement and suspicion that were written into that book. And, you know, I was just thinking about my aunts and my uncles and and oh, I loved working on that so much. That was a true gift. Since my mother told me that I would be marrying Ellie, I had felt as though I was balancing our two families like a basin of water, which was full to the brim, on my head. It wasn't easy being the key to other people's happiness, their victory, and their vindication. I desperately wanted the wedding to be over, because then I would have done my part. Or rather, I would have begun to do my part. Ah, uh, it's okay. You're only adding to my stress with all this makeup, I protested when Mousy's hand and the makeup sponge continued to hover in my face. Stress? Haven't I told you to relax? There is nothing to be stressed about. You should be happy and
0: smiling. I really loved that book. I loved the variety of characters that were in it and when you talk about expressions that were just sort of baked into the book i think it was one it would just be uh. that's
1: it <laughs> yes yes yeah i mean i think that's why it it feels so easy in a lot of these books for me to sort of get my hooks into it cuz because those things are are there and the author is is infusing the work with that and it's just so easy to to grab onto
0: well, you mentioned getting in touch with the author. Do you try to have a good relationship with authors before you work, or is do you approach them if you have specific questions?
1: I approach them if I have specific questions, but I usually, honestly, very often, I've been really, really lucky to work on some amazing books and to be on Twitter a fair amount, but I, I'll often just reach out if I'm enjoying a book you know i think it's it's nice for authors to hear that and and so i will often reach out that way and then sometimes you know a conversation will come up and you know all of that all of that feels like in a way it feels like research like it all goes into the book you know the my connection with the author whether i have specific questions or not
0: well tell me how you prepare for narrating do you mark up a lot do you use pages or an ipad
1: Uh, Yeah, I use an iPad, I annotate. I used to mark up a lot, and I am doing less of that. Um, I'm usually now just marking up if there is a characteristic about a character's voice or something that I need to be aware of before it's mentioned in the text somewhere. But um, I have really pulled back on the marking up because I feel like once I've read it once... It's there, you know, and I feel like it's such a gift to be able to to read it and then see see where it goes in a sense. So I want to give myself a little bit of freedom so I don't, I don't want to be too too beholden to lots of marks in my text.
0: Right. That makes sense. But what about if you're creating voices for a series, one fantasy series that you've narrated is Shah. And I want you to tell me a little bit about that series. And then let's talk about the characters that you created, because they are phenomenal.
1: Sure. So Aru Shah is, well, in the first book, she's 12 years old. I, I believe in the last book, she was 14. And she is a reincarnation of one of the Pandava brothers from Hindu mythology, one of these five brothers who is a warrior they all are reincarnated as girls and she finds her other her soul sisters is what they she calls them and they go on a series of adventures and meet the the hindu gods and you know go to the underworld and you know up into the heavens and um yeah so it's a a series of adventures that they go on in each book
0: I'm really curious about the process of creating voices for these characters over an entire series of books. And it's not just Arusha and her soul sisters, but there are also gods and creatures of all sorts from hamsters to swords to dragons.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely. I would do this for all books, but that's definitely one of the books where I have little voice samples for each of the of the characters and uh notes about I keep my notes for everything. <laughs> so notes from like books past about Aru's voice, Aru's what Aru loves, what Aru hates, um that sort of thing. But that's, you know, again, it's just written so so well and You know, when I have my old notes, I have my old samples. It sort of feels easy to just keep building on the characters. Aru Shah had a gigantic lightning bolt, and she really wanted to use it. Please don't, Shah, begged her friend Aiden. If you electrocute the targets with Vajra, we've blown this Pandava mission. Please, said Aru, hoping she sounded more confident than she felt. I'm the daughter of the god of thunder and lightning. Electricity is practically my thing. Yesterday, you stuck a fork in the toaster, pointed out Aiden. It was just for a second, and it was holding my breakfast prisoner. A gust of wind hit the back of Aru's head, and she turned to see a huge eagle with sapphire-colored feathers swooping toward them. The bird dove to the ground and in a flash of blue light transformed into Bryn, her soul sister and the daughter of the god of the wind. No visuals on the targets, Bryn said. Also, Aiden's right. I seriously don't trust you around electricity.
0: What about when you narrate a book with multiple readers? Do you speak to them about how they're approaching the work? And I'm thinking about something like A Burning, which had six narrators.
1: Yeah, I think when it's that many narrators, it's a little more difficult. That Yeah, that and we were working with a director on that one, so she was really helping us keep a through line and have our characters be feeding one another. In other cases, we, we've had... Dropbox folders with like tons of voice samples and tons of emails flying back and forth. And I would say I love working on multicast projects. I mean, I love working with other narrators. So I do try to connect with other narrators and and chat with them about how they're approaching the work and how they're voicing characters and that sort of thing.
0: You've narrated a couple of books with Fikas Adam. He was part of The Burning, he was also on a much lighter note. There's something about sweetie, and then you and he just did the setup, yeah. and it really sounded like you were both having so much fun.
1: Yeah, well that that's a particularly fun piece, but it's true, you know, and. When you have narrators you work with often, like Vikas and I, it's true. It's like I can hear him, (laughs) you know. I know I have a sense of what he'll be doing with his portion of the narration. And I I know what his voice sounds like. And oh, it's really wonderful to work with him and to work with other narrators I know well. Um, Because I think you can hear that we know each other well in our, you know, in the two sides of our narration.
0: That makes me wonder because... You know, you come from theater, theater is so collaborative, and now you're in a booth pretty much on your own. So that kind of outreach to other narrators or working with a director must be really lovely.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's super lovely. I mean, I also have fun with a book on my own. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but I do really love to work with other narrators and with and with directors. It's really fun to to play off of other folks that way and to collaborate on a book. Yeah.
0: On the other hand, even though you're, it's just you in a booth and you really don't have anyone to play with, but you have a far greater range of characters you can play.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, when I was doing theater, I was often cast in a certain role. And it's so wonderful when you're doing an entire audio book to, to, to say, okay, the book that I'm working on today, I'm playing an older detective from Maine. No one would ever cast me to, to play that on stage. So it's amazing to me to be able to to put on these other characters, you know, that I can do something with, with my voice, right?
0: I wonder with nonfiction titles like After the Last Border, for example, mm-hmm. um, which is about what it's like seeking asylum in 21st century America. I wonder if your approach to books like that is different because these are real people you're giving voice to.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's it's similar and and different. Yeah. I mean, I think... I certainly was talking to the author um, a lot more for that particular book, but I think I was also very much connecting to, you know, my, my parents are not refugees, but, but immigrants. I was able to connect to, to some part of that story, but I also have, I mean, I told you I am that <laughs> love to read. I just have just such a deep, genuine curiosity about other people's experiences, and I, and I think that carries me really far as well.
0: Do you have preferences about the kind of projects you like to take on as a narrator? Fiction, nonfiction, YA titles, fantasy?
1: You know, I don't. I love being able to work on the gamut. My only sort of stipulation is that that it's interesting to me, that it feeds my curiosity. You know, it's funny. I never read a bunch of nonfiction before working on audiobooks. And now I, I love it because I was introduced to it through this work. Uh, the same with sci-fi. So I am really, really open in terms of genre and topic. I just want to be learning new things and, and able to enjoy the book.
0: Well, R. Shaw is hardly the only book you've narrated for young adults. There's also, on a more serious side, Amina's Voice and then Amina's Song. And they're about a Pakistani-American Muslim girl who's trying to reconcile her her at-home culture and her at-school culture. And I wonder how you approach these books knowing that it will have a lot of resonance for someone in a really, really important time in his or her life.
1: I really think about myself at that age. I mean, when you talk about Amina's voice and Amina's song. Of course, I didn't have those exact things happen to me, but I, you know, I very much understand what it's like to be a first generation American, to be 12 years old, to be navigating two cultures. So I very much connect with that. And I, you know, I, I think it's interesting because I'm really thinking about my experience at that age. And then also I have two, two little kids and, you know, I think about, what it will be like for them to navigate some of of these things when they are twelve years old, so I feel like I'm sort of connecting to it from from two different angles like that.
0: Do you have books that stay with you when you're done?
1: Oh, yes, <laughs> for sure. I would say that good night by Sunita Puri was one of those books. It's a book about medicine at the end of life and choices at the end of life. I remember first of all, speaking with her. She was just she's just an incredible human being. And then I I deeply remember also working on the book at the Penguin Random House studio and how just how moved the director was. I was the engineer was working on this amazing, amazing book. And, and it changed, you know, it changed conversations I started having with my parents, with friends. I and mean, that's something I love about this type of work. I, I feel like a lot of the books change me. And it, it's just a gift. I don't want dialysis anymore, Donna told her doctors. I've lived a good life. If Donna doesn't want dialysis, her doctors wondered, then what does she want and how should we treat her? These were questions I had rarely encountered or considered in my years as a medical student. Like the doctors who taught and supervised me, I was hardwired to preserve and prolong life. On the few occasions I had seen patients opt out of life-saving treatments, I'd watched my supervising doctors struggle to articulate another plan and the consequences and limits of any plan at all. Donna's team knew they needed help having that sort of delicate conversation with her. So they called the palliative care team to speak with Donna and help clarify what she wanted if she didn't want dialysis.
0: Well, what do you think are the attributes of a good narrator?
1: Oh, wow. Um, To always be learning and... I mean it's I guess it's the same thing it's just certainly to always be curious also to be learning things not just from you know other narrators but also from the books the author's life you know I think you know something that's wonderful about this work is that you know all of that can feed into it and you know I alluded to that earlier about how my relationship with the these YA books have changed now that, you know, I am the mother of children as opposed to like a young adult myself. So I think just continuing to sort of be curious and gather information from all of the experiences that I'm having that a narrator is having is is really important.
0: What is the funnest part of this job for you?
1: Definitely working with other narrators and also I love to to work on just out there characters, and and as I said before, just characters that never, no one would ever cast me for, you know, on stage or in a film. That's just so much fun. It's so much fun to say, okay, all right, how how am I going to put on this uh, talking parrot? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's really fun.
0: What does it mean for you to be named a Golden Voice by Audiophile Magazine?
1: Oh, my gosh. I can't even begin. It's really, really exciting, really thrilling. It's such an honor. But also, you know, the fact that the the stories that I have worked on are also being honored, right? The South Asian voices, the African voices, the Black voices. That is really, really important to me that, that all of that is being recognized. And, you know, and then also just... As you said, a lot of times we're in our little boxes all day long. So it's it's just a, a joy to be recognized, to feel like okay, something I'm doing is making it out of this little box, and um, and people are hearing it and appreciating it. That's that's really wonderful.
0: I am certainly one of those people who appreciated it. I put my garden together listening to Arusha. <laughs> wonderful, which was so much fun. <laughs> So many congratulations and many, many thanks.
1: Oh, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun.
0: For me, too. That was one of Audiophile's new golden voices, Sunila Nankani. This has been an extended edition of Behind the Mic with Audiophile Magazine. Drop by audiophilemagazine.com and check out interviews, videos, and stories about all our golden voices throughout the years. Next week, I'm speaking with Cassandra Campbell. Until then, I'm Joe Reed. Good listening.